welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to my favorite coffee story. We have such an important show today. We're sharing a lot about wildfires and Our show title is called Hot Off the Press, What You Need to Know About Wildfires. And today we have a terrific guest joining us. And before I introduce Elizabeth Pickett, we have our Anikona Farm moment. And I thought we'd share today with all our listeners around the world, our friends in all across the U.S., of course, and in Ireland and Russia and China and Australia and Africa, that We have a lot of beautiful fragrances on the farm, and I thought I'd share some of the floral fragrances, including from the coffee trees. The coffee trees bloom usually in February, maybe March, and we call it Kona Snow, and when those trees are blooming, we have just this incredible fragrance on the farm as we meander through those trees. And I wish I could just sort of bring you here to Anikona Farm so that you could just feel that that amazing aloha spirit on the farm when we have those trees flowering. The other beautiful fragrances we have, we have gardenia flowers and we also have a really pretty white ginger that has a subtle fragrance. And then lastly, some trumpet flowers that are yellow. And then in the evening, they just blossom with their fragrance. And, oh, that just makes me realize I'm here on the farm. And it's, it's just so fun to be sitting on the deck and having a dinner. And those trumpet flowers are saying hello with their fragrance. So that's a little bit about the fragrances at Anikona Farm. So let's get talking about hot off the press, what you need to know about wildfires. And we thought we'd do a show about wildfires because it's so important right now. It's in the news. It's on our minds. I'm not quite sure if our listeners knew that just even Hawaii alone, about 0.5% of Hawaii's total land area burns each year, which is equal to or greater than the proportion burned of any other U.S. state. And that's just incredible. And we have Elizabeth Pickett joining us. We're so grateful to her. She's nice to take the time. She's the executive director of the Hawaii Wildlife Management Organization. They implement such important wildfire mitigation planning and education projects throughout Hawaii, as well as share information across the Pacific region. Welcome, Elizabeth, to My Favorite Coffee Story. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, we're so glad you're here, and we we are just so excited to learn more and to learn about what you're involved in with Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. And maybe if we could start, please, Elizabeth, just sharing with us, with our listeners, about your early days. We always love to hear about some of your growing up days and family times, please. Sure. Well, I grew up in Southern California. Um, we have several generations who've grown up in California. So we are um, 
are more of a farm family um, made of hunters, fishers, farmers, horse people, not necessarily the Southern California that people may um, may think of immediately, but really I had a lot of outdoors and nature in my life. And, um, and I really think that that time outside and with animals and, and just wind and clouds and ocean really <laughs> impacted me um, and led me to where I am now. Oh, that's, thank you for sharing that, Elizabeth. And how did you decide to attend UC Berkeley for college? You know, it, it was a roundabout uh, pathway, I think. I, I started off as a comparative literature major, and I really wanted to study languages and people, and I actually did several years in that direction, and I really loved it. So I was, I was studying Spanish, Korean, and English languages and literature, and I just uh, fell upon a, an elective course called environmental literature, and it completely changed my life because I realized that for the first time that I could actually move forward in a direction that focused on the environment and on being outside and maybe even have a career path that went in that direction. And, um, and I completely switched over to the sciences, and I ended up uh, getting a degree in geography because it combined my love of people with my connection to place. Oh, that's so fantastic, Elizabeth. So then you decided to pursue even a master's in environmental science at Yale, um, I guess Yale's School of Forestry. Please share some of your favorite classes and maybe even some fun favorite coffee stories while you were there. Well, when I was, I I should um, back up and say that I moved to Hawaii right after I was at UC Berkeley, and I worked on a boat tagging and tracking manta rays, and then when that, it was a fellowship, and when that was over, I looked for any science job I could find, and I ended up being a telescope operator on the top of Mauna Kea. And I did that for several years, and um, my science background, which in the end it had a lot of geochemistry and it was really relevant to astronomy. And, um, and I very much enjoyed that. But when I looked for jobs that back off the mountain and closer to the ocean, I realized I needed more education and training. And while, while I was a telescope operator, I, I worked a schedule that was essentially a week on and a week off. And during my times off, I volunteered at several places that were conservation and environmental science related. And I started to notice that some of our um, some of our issues that are environmental have a lot to do with how people interact and how we behave as a community, a community of scientists, a community of residents and natural resource managers. There's a lot of community and social components. And my background in people made me interested, but I was really more trained up in the hard sciences. So I realized I needed to go back to school. And so I went to Yale to study exactly that intersection of of people and place and how people interact with their environment. And so my favorite part about being at Yale was that it, it, that the forestry school is interdisciplinary in that way. So I could really pick and choose classes from anthropology and from the hard sciences and um, weave those together in a way that, that really let me build the program that I wanted to so I could learn what I felt like I needed to learn in order to be effective. So in terms of coffee stories, I can't think of any times during my 
undergraduate or graduate career that didn't involve coffee every day. (laughs) Some of my favorite moments really involved working with classmates on projects at our favorite local coffee shops. And, um, and really I had a lot of good time on my own working on whatever my classwork was, or even just brainstorming how I was going to do my research. They all involved coffee shops and yummy coffee. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm so curious, Elizabeth, what were some of the findings up there managing the telescope on top of the summit of Mauna Kea? Well, unfortunately, I I wish I knew, but that wasn't my, um, what I was focused on. So what I would do, um, I sat at the controls and facilitated uh, researchers from around the globe coming and using the telescope for, you know, anywhere from a few hours to a few days to for them to study um, and pursue their research topics. And oh, so it, we, what I got to see on the screen was so amazing and beautiful, but really I was kind of the photographer, like the one working at, on the equipment, opening up and, and closing the telescope, making sure nothing went wrong. It was really the technical aspect. So I hope I facilitated them getting really incredible data, but I wasn't a part of the um, data collection or analysis. I just mostly manned the machines. But that was a huge contribution, and we really appreciate it, Elizabeth. And it sounds like you decided to pursue even a little bit more of a focus on researching maybe public impact on and contribution to natural resource management in Hawaii. So it it sounds like then you became involved with Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization, or as you say, HWMO, in 2008. How did you become involved with them? Well, when I the research that I did while I was at Yale for um, School of Forestry um, was plugged into to some local projects on Hawaii Island. And so I continued those projects when I when I came home um, or I came back after school. And, uh, and, you know, it's a small community here. It's pretty tight knit. And initially what I was doing was an extension of my master's research, which, which was focused on shoreline issues and conservation and protection of beach areas by and for the people who use them and know them the most. So I've always been really interested in social equity and inclusion and for um, the folks who use the beach and use natural resources to also be involved in the decision making. And so I really care a lot about connecting those dots. And I, I, um, even now to this day, I continue to also work for the Malamakai Foundation on coastal uh, stewardship projects. And it was actually working for the Malamakai Foundation um, when its president, Carolyn Stewart, said, you know, you may be also interested in this other organization that I'm working with, which is the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. And I kind of thought to myself, wildfire? I don't know. I'm really interested in people and and the ocean and, the, and other natural resources and the environment. I just don't know how wildfire fits in. So she invited me to come and get to know the organization a little bit. And I ended up um, at first starting off as a grant writer. And more and more, I can see why she connected me to this organization, because actually people do not realize that wildfire significantly impacts the ocean and the coast and 
Um, Post-fire erosion, erosion smothers coral reefs. It impacts drinking water. It burns native forests. Like if I wanted an environmental issue to be contributing to, wildfire actually connects to all the things that I care about. And additionally, it it works a lot with communities and residents and all kinds of fire professionals and natural resource managers. Like it really combines all the things that are so near and dear to me in terms of that intersection between people and place. It does. It's such an important organization and we're so grateful that you, what all that you do with Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization, please share a little bit more about the organization, its mission and values, please. Sure. I'd love to start off with the values. Most people don't ask that, but actually it's the part that's most exciting about our organization because in 2000, um, Uh, Fire professionals, natural resource managers, some local ranchers and conservationists and scientists, they all came together to um, to work on fire, the fire issue in uh, one region on Hawaii Island, Um, because at that time, the focus for fire was really just firefighting and not a lot of prevention work or working with communities or reducing ignitions or managing the forest boundaries to protect them. None of that was really going on or at least not to the extent that people wanted to see. So they started um, meeting together as a group and established very early on that that the, that the values that would be um, prioritized would be collaboration, on active listening, on inclusion, and there being um, all voices at the table, everybody matters. Let's hear what the priorities and concerns are among all and figure out ways that we can work together in a cross-boundary, cross-jurisdiction kind of way for the good of our bigger picture landscape and for the communities as well. And so they started it off with this really amazing and inspiring culture of cooperation and that has persisted so i think that feeds its way into our mission which is to protect both communities and natural resources from wildfire and we work collaboratively with all those living and working in fire prone areas to reduce fire and to maximize protection of people and also of natural resources and we started off just on hawaii island and we've grown statewide and we have partners now um, across the pacific and, and such an important organization. I, I just think your collaborative nature is so noteworthy as you just team up with the community and you share prevention plans and, um, and just in general how you implement those across the board and then share the knowledge or the information that you gain with other areas as well. Maybe before we go to break, if I could just ask you, please, Elizabeth, to share maybe how do how does wildfire happen, please? Oh, a lot of things have to come together. I mean, at the very basic level, you need oxygen, you need fuel, and you need a spark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like at the very, very core, but essentially the bigger picture of wildfire is that those fuels, we can't do much about oxygen. We want oxygen to breathe, of course, but we can do a lot about the fuels, which for wildfire is vegetation. And so it's a combination of vegetation that is flammable and that has weather conditions that are dry, drying out the, the vegetation and that in combination with some source of a spark. 
which in Hawaii is primarily people. And in other areas of the world, there are also um, lightning strikes. And so where those, you know, sources of ignition come together with high densities of unmanaged um, fire fuels or basically dry grass, dry trees, dry vegetation that can combust, it's the recipe for wildfire. And thank you for explaining that. We really appreciate it. So when you're teaming up with your team and you go out to the community and you've done a variety of projects, and we'll get to that right after the break, how does your team work together? Please share with us a little bit about your group there at your organization. Well, we have a staff of um, five, and we have a board. We're just adding on board members now, but uh, about eight. Um, we at ten by the end of the year, I think. And so we have a, a conventional board of directors who oversees, you know, our our finances, our strategic planning, our fundraising, um, and our legal. Uh, compliance, and then we have a staff that implements the projects, including myself as the executive director. I'm kind of coordinating all the pieces. But in addition to that, we have a technical advisory committee made up of all the best fire and natural resource management experts in the state and across the region who then provide the technical expertise and guidance on all of our projects. And so as the executive director, I'm coordinating all of those players to make sure we have the best available science, the best available management strategies. Um, I say management, I mean more like land management and on the ground kind of efforts. And that we have community buy-in and participation and we're, we're providing support to all the players necessary in order to make our projects happen. And those range from education in classroom assemblies and outreach events to actually putting in helicopter dip tanks, water infrastructure, fuel breaks, and even participating in, um, in planning uh, at the county or state level. That's excellent. We can't wait to hear a little bit more about the projects that the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization is involved in right after the break. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. And listeners, please join us right after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for 
you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You're listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story, and we're chatting with Elizabeth Pickett. She's the executive director of the Hawaii Wildfire Fire Management Organization, and they implement very important and numerous wildfire mitigation planning and education projects across Hawaii. And we were just chatting with Elizabeth about how wildfires do happen and some of the projects that the HWMO are involved in and the team that does such a great job implementing those. And we're just going to ask Elizabeth maybe more generally about what's going on with wildfires, maybe, you know, in Western U.S. or sort of what's the situation, Elizabeth? Well, you probably, uh, your listeners have probably heard about wildfires occurring across the Western U.S. and actually across the world in recent months, at least the Northern Hemisphere. Um, there have been significant fires across uh, well, California with the Mendocino complex being the, the largest fire in state history with over 400,000 acres, several large California fires and also fires in Arizona, Montana, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Colorado. I mean, even across the state of Hawaii and in Europe and even above the Arctic Circle, we're seeing wildfires. So it's definitely becoming um more in people's awareness that wildfire is an issue, especially in a time like now. But a lot of it has to do with what we talked about before the break, which is that we're having more ignitions, both human-caused ignitions and lightning strikes, and also with um, increases in the extremes of weather and climate. So we have greater precipitation events um, that dump a lot of water and therefore grow a lot of vegetation. And then we have the the opposite extreme where it dries out and um, areas enter into drought periods. So we have that doubled up of extra fuel, fuel on the ground and then really dry conditions that just make these fires much more intense and much more likely to ignite. Absolutely. And it's definitely in the news and it's it's on our minds and we really appreciate all the information that you're sharing with us as well as all the good work that the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization does. We were we were talking about the collaborative values or the management style that you have there at HWMO and all the things that all the good that you're doing for the community. What are some of the current projects that you've been working on? Well, we um, 
We're currently working with over three dozen county, state, federal, and nonprofit entities who came together at first a few years ago to develop unified wildfire prevention mes- messaging for Hawaii. We, um, unlike mu- much of the rest of the United States and other countries that already have their fire prevention campaign really well known and established, we um, previously didn't have that going on in Hawaii. So we're in our third year of um, sort of seasonally launching this wildfire lookout campaign. And this year, um, we have put together a series of tips that are shareable via Twitter and Facebook. And we have lots of elected officials participating and distributing that sort of information. And it's available on our website as well, hawaiiwildfire.org. But essentially, we have, um, we boiled things, all of the fire information down to 18 very, very, very simple, easy to do, you can go out in your backyard and do it right now kind of tips um, for people to prepare for wildfire, protect their home, family, and community um, from wildfire impacts and also prevent fire from happening in the first place. I really like your wildfire lookouts that I've seen on your website. They're very helpful. They're very succinct. And I I do think it's just a great way to promote awareness. And and also, what are some of the things we can do as citizens in our community? What was it like, Elizabeth, developing the Hawaii statewide fire history map that you worked on in the database? Well, that, it was sort of a beast of a project, but um, again, unlike other states, we didn't have a database of all the fires that have occurred in Hawaii, partly because we're made up of several islands and also several different firefighting agencies are fighting fires in different jurisdictions and all of that was not, all of that information was not previously compiled. So we couldn't get a sense for the scale and scope of wildfire across Hawaii. And so we spent a few years um, getting permission and getting the data. And in some cases, getting the dusty old boxes out of basements and combing through all the digital and paper data and putting it all into a database and mapping all the fires that we could. So it was a significant project, but I I think that it may have changed the game in terms of wildfire awareness um, in Hawaii and also uh, it changed the game in the way that we can communicate about a wildfire because it was from that effort and that project that not only do we now know for sure that 99% of fires are started by people in Hawaii, both accidentally and intentionally, but we also understand that the proportion of our state that burns every year is equal to or more in some years than the proportion of other states in the most fire-prone parts of the U.S. So we're right up in there as having a really serious wildfire issue. And yet it's underpublicized and underaddressed. I would argue it's an underfunded. People just don't really realize that it's an issue that Hawaii is dealing with. And so that project was really significant in terms of um, helping us to understand and to decide where to go next in terms of our activities. And as a build out or as a next step from that, we're now working on another project um, that's mapping all of the, as many as we can across the state of the vegetation management projects that are going on so that together in our collaborative style we can take a look at the zoom out of what kind of vegetation management activities are happening so for 
grazing and fuel breaks and all the kinds of things that are reducing the fire risk on every island and then bringing everyone together to identify where the gaps are and where our next step projects should occur. So we're really excited about this current project, mapping project that we have, and we see it as like the next amazing thing that we can contribute um, uh, after that fire history mapping project that we completed. That fire mapping history project was a huge accomplishment and also how you collaborate with the community and the vegetation mapping just tremendous efforts so we really appreciate that Elizabeth when you're meeting with the community you pull everyone together in your collaborative style by chance are some of these meetings over a cup of coffee (laughs) I'm just kind of curious Well, first of all, there's coffee at all the meetings. In fact, we find that it's um, one of the best perks. Uh, that's not, no pun intended. That's funny. We have a lot of fire <laughs> in our field, um, you know, about sparking awareness and things like that. And I, I just stumbled upon a coffee perk. But anyway, I mean, a coffee <laughs> pun. <laughs> but in any case, we do bring coffee to all of our um, meetings and events. And sometimes those are in large groups and sometimes they are just one-on-one with landowners or fire chiefs or, or um, other experts um, or residents or community leaders because it really is all about building relationships and I really believe that we build community through every conversation that we have and so our, we even practice you know, active listening and, and really good communication within our staff team so that um, we, can, we can be really um, skilled and appropriate and sensitive and good listeners when we go out over our cups of coffee to have these (laughs) conversations because it's all the projects and progress that we're able to achieve have everything to do with the conversations that we're having, whether it's one-on-one or in small or large groups. And it is so true how it's building relationships, isn't it? And you mentioned maybe with fire chiefs and, you know, we have this sort of understated notion that firefighters, and we're so grateful to them for all that they do, uh, really just so grateful that there's a notion that firefighters do love their coffee. Is, Is that a true thing? Yeah, I think so. I'm not positive. Of course, it's all, you know, on an individual basis. But I noticed that even at the nighttime meetings, um, when there are firefighters there, they're happy to indulge in the coffee that we are that we bring. And whenever we have extras left over, we always drop it by the fire station. So Oh, so nice. Well, the I think it's really important to note that all the great knowledge that you pull together and as you're you're doing your databases and fire mapping history, that you also collaborate with the region as a whole and you have the Pacific Fire Exchange where you share wildfire-related science throughout the Pacific. Please tell us a little bit more about that, Elizabeth. Yeah, I'd love to. So we, you know, we, we've worked with communities and firefighters um, and natural resource managers since our inception as an organization. But um, maybe about 10 years into being an organization or more, it was very clear that we also wanted to have the academic and research community engaged in the fire issue and that there are already several ecologists and other scientists doing um, research that 
that has some um, some piece of it that has to do with fire. And so we wanted to, to pull all of that together and develop a platform for information exchange because it it makes sense to have the best available as science applied to wildfire prevention and land management and fire suppression. But at that, before we formed the Pacific Fire Exchange, we didn't really have an organized mechanism for sharing and communicating. And since developing it, we now have a way to have um, those on the ground doing fire and land management to, to talk about their information needs and for researchers to then conduct studies and to, and to make sure that the research that they pursue actually addresses those information needs so that the research is feeding the management and that the management needs are then feeding the research topics. And so that's a really important um, gap that was in place um, for a very long time, and it's true across the nation, and it's, group, it's true for many types of science, um, that there's a push now for it to be much more applied. And, and I think with the Pacific Fire Exchange, we're doing a good job of, of connecting the necessary players and moving forward in our ability to develop more science related to wildfire and also to share it and communicate about it. That is so incredible, and what a great idea to have the Pacific Fire Exchange and all the knowledge that you can share there and the science and how that plays out out in the field, which is fantastic. How would you describe, Elizabeth, that we've been talking some about some of your projects and the wonderful team that you have there at Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization and a little bit about the, the style of collaboration and all the things that you do with the community. How would you describe describe your favorite parts of what you do I love talking with people yes <laughs> you'll notice that but it's just so it's just such a wonderful thing to be a part of um, making things better for for a wide range of I guess people and places so the wildfire prevention work that we do it protects communities it protects native forests and um, native habitats. It, it, we're working to prevent, you know, things like post-fire soil erosion that runs off and smothers coral reefs and affects water quality. So we're, you know, it's just, it's a really cool topic or subject matter. It's really interesting. I never thought I would be in fire. And when I think about the, um, all of the components that surround fire in terms of life and property and natural resources and and then all the things that go along with natural resources because especially in Hawaii, you know, our lands and waters are our connection to spirit and our connection to recreation, to sustenance, to economics. I mean, it just, place matters so, so much in so many ways for people who live across Hawaii. And to be a part of a collaborative environment where everybody matters, there's a lot of inclusion and equity in the way that we do things, all for a good purpose. It all just comes together to be exactly what I want to do and what I'm proud to be a part of. Oh, that's so beautifully stated. And you're having such an impact on our community. And of course, you're making such a difference for our resources and for the land and for people's safety and for the community. So thank you, Elizabeth, and to your entire organization, the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. Before we go to break, Elizabeth, you had touched briefly about the other organization you had been involved in the Malama Kai Foundation that specializes in 
in Coast and Marine Protection. Just briefly, are you still involved a bit with that organization? I am, in part because I love both organizations and I can't imagine not being involved in both. But yeah. the Malamakai Foundation historically was founded um, in part or in a large part to establish and maintain the statewide day use mooring buoys. And so those are really mooring buoys that are put in place for daytime use that um, that prevent people from dropping anchors on coral reefs because a lot of damage occurs when anchors are dropped. So instead they can hook into a, to a mooring buoy that's pre-established and it, it significantly reduces the damage done to coral reefs. But the part that I have been involved in more as, as a program manager has more to do with community involved coastal stewardship projects. And, um, and also I run an after school and weekend uh, environmental education program in North Kohala and Waikoloa on Hawaii Island that's called Ocean Warriors. And so it's all field trip based and we take students um, usually for a year long program to to a series of different outdoor sites and they swim and sail and kayak and learn about environmental topics and sustainability and also just to get them out in their own community to know what's going on the history of the place, what some current issues are and how they can get involved. Um, and then we always do service projects. So my, my ties at Hawaii Wildfire that have so many partners across the region really come in handy when I'm looking for places that the students can contribute their time to. So they kind of work hand in hand, um, my two jobs and yeah. both organizations. Yeah. It's it's so connected and it's so nice of you to do that. I know the students must love that. When we come back after the break, listeners, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it's really like living in Hawaii and and some of the upcoming projects that the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization is going to be involved in uh, with Elizabeth Pickett. She's the executive director of the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. They're implementing important and numerous wildfire mitigation planning and education projects throughout Hawaii, as well as sharing knowledge throughout the Pacific region. So listeners, please Please join us after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
are listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story, and we're having such a nice chat with Elizabeth Pickett. She's the Executive Director of the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization, and our show today is all everything you need to know about wildfires, and we were just chatting with Elizabeth about just some of the projects that the organization has been involved in, and and sharing wildfire awareness and from the various projects they've worked on with their wildfire lookouts that are just so helpful from their statewide fire history maps and databases and coming up with protection plans. And we were just going to ask a little bit more about what is it really like living in Hawaii for Elizabeth? Oh, well, you know, I've lived here now almost 18 years. And I, it's basically my entire adult life. So I barely remember living anywhere else, except that I did take some breaks to go back to graduate school, but I, this was still in my home base. And um, I've heard people talk about island fever and other things like that, like how could you live on an island for so long? But Hawaii Island is so big, and we have so many different ecotypes and climate zones, and fa- that's a fancy way of just saying that, you know, you can be in the beach or um, somewhere very wet and with waterfalls and lots of rain and muddy waters to somewhere very dry with, you know, sparkling water to high up on the mountain where it's very cold. You know, the first time I even put snow chains on a car was here in Hawaii when I was a telescope <laughs> operator on the summit. But actually, not the first time, the only times. The only times I've woken up to snow were on Mauna Kea. And so Hawaii just had this island has so much to offer in terms of outdoor diversity um that that's something I really appreciate and I like to get outside as much as possible although I've already talked about how I I basically have two full-time jobs and I have a a three-year-old too so I don't get out as much as I would like to but in lots of parts of those 18 years I was definitely in the ocean or hiking every single day and Hawaii is such a perfect spot for that. That's so funny that you had to put chains on on the summit of Mauna Kea. But I can imagine we do have that happen. And then, you know, in the afternoon, you can be surfing. It's just so much fun. So the balancing of time and balancing between helping, we were talking about the Malama Kai Foundation, where you help with marine protection and, and protection of the coast, in addition to being executive director of the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization and all the good that you do in the community, you're also balancing your time with your family. And how do you do that? I it's a work in progress, I think. I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that except to say that I don't sleep very much. No. <laughs> but it's really worth it because, like I said, I can't. I'm ha- I've had a hard time deciding what which thing I want to put all my energy into. So, um, my partner and I have had a. Uh, have figured out how to basically pass the baby back and forth so that he's always, you know, with one of us and having a good time enriched with his parents and being outside. 
Um, so we've been able to have flexible schedules in that regard. And I also would say I'm able to balance things because I have such amazing support from the board of directors of both or organizations. I bring my three-year-old with me on the student field trips for Ocean Warriors with the Malamakai Foundation. So he's his own little ocean warrior at this point. <laughs> it, it makes for a really nice um variety of ages doing the service projects and and being outside together so I combine whenever I can um, because to me uh, it is all connected and I'm a member of this community and so it makes sense for me to have my child with me and sometimes I have to bring him to board meetings and it all just somehow blends together and I feel very very supported to have my life integrated in that way. It sounds like that works really well. I know that you you used to do and maybe you still try to get a little kite surfing in have you been able to do that by chance yeah I mean not I used to basically during the summer windy season on Hawaii Island I used to kite surf probably every day and I built it into my schedule I woke up early I would work for six or seven hours I'd go kite in the middle of the day and then I would go back and finish my work until late. So I had my time off, but it was in the middle of the day when the wind was strong and I could get in the ocean. Um, and it's not as easy for me to, to to build that in, but definitely on the weekends, we're a kiting family. So when we can, we, we definitely, we're watching the weather and we're getting in the ocean to surf or kite whenever we can. Oh, that's so fun. What are some of those upcoming projects you have with Hawaii Wildfire fire management organization that are coming up? Well, we have an ongoing um, program where we are working with communities to uh, help them navigate the uh, the FireWise certification process. So there's a national program called FireWise Communities, and they recognize communities who have taken their wildfire preparedness in their own hands, and they're working with their community to have, you know, volunteer days and and educational programs and and things where they're, um, they are taking the initiative to work together as a community to keep themselves safe through lots of projects. And so um, there's, there's, that's at the, the certification is at the national level, but there's a process that has to happen locally for them to be a part of that. And so we are kind of shepherding communities through that process. And we have 10 certified communities with several more on the way. And we're really excited about that because we're just a small nonprofit and um, to be able to empower or to provide communities with all the tools that they need to make their own protection happen is really um, an important strategy to make sure that everybody knows how to stay safe and that it doesn't all fall on just our small little shoulders, but that we're able to support other people to do the work they need to do as well. So that's one thing we have ongoing. Um, and there's more opportunity for that. So if your listeners happen to be in Hawaii and want to organize their own neighborhood into a firewise community, we would be very excited to help them with that. Um, we also have, um, some conventional stuff that seems so obvious that we don't have in Hawaii yet, which are, um, wildfire prevention materials like posters and coloring books and kids activity books we hired an artist and we're in the final stages of um of getting all the formatting done and getting those printed so that we can have those available and distribute them 
um, across the schools in Hawaii. So that also might seem so obvious and conventional and boring in places where <laughs> Smokey Bear has existed and um, and had lots of good programming. But we have we don't have that. We're behind in Hawaii when it comes to that. And so we're really excited to finally catch up on that front. And I will put in a little plug because we have. Um, Maybe two plugs, but one is, you know, we don't have bears in Hawaii. So we've developed a new statewide mascot, which is an owl. And so it's Kaleo the Pueo. He's the fire prevention mascot for our organization's prevention um, work. And another plug is that we're actually gearing up to have uh, a firefighter chili cook-off as a fundraiser for our organization. And it'll be held at Parker Ranch on November 3rd. And silent auction, firefighters competing with their favorite firehouse chili recipes and um, twinkle lights and live Hawaiian music. So if people are interested in coming and learning more about fire and they happen to be on Hawaii Island um, or want to come for that purpose, we certainly invite people to come participate. We're, like I said, we're just a small nonprofit. And because fire, um, the awareness that Hawaii has a fire issue isn't really pervasive, even at the county and state levels, um, let alone for the national competitive funding competitions we have to go for to do our work. The fundraising side of things is just a reality that we face every year. So we're having a big fun upcoming fundraiser. So we're gearing up for that. And that's going to be a great fundraiser. So if someone wants to become more involved in your organization or find out more about the cookout, should they just go to hawaiiwildfire.org or where's the best way to get information? Yeah, we have everything on our website. We also have a Hawaii Wildfire Management Facebook um, and Hawaii Wildfire Twitter account. But really, the website is the the clearinghouse place of all the information that we have. And our contact information is on there. And we welcome volunteers. We welcome people who are interested in working within their own neighborhoods. Um, we do home assessments and community hazard assessments. We, you know, we we are working with some planning firms who are incorporating wildfire. Um, protection strategies into their their development projects and so we're available we make ourselves available for all things wildfire and so um the website is a great place to start thank you for clarifying that and uh that's i think all those fun projects coming up are so important and exciting and we wish you well with the fundraising and all that you do is just so important to the community we had touched briefly about um coffee and how that sort of filters through a little bit in that relationship building in the community and how one might meet with the community or with the fire chief, et cetera, over a good cup of coffee. Are you finding you might have a favorite coffee cafe in Hawaii or even maybe on some of your travels? Oh, it would be hard for me to talk about coffee and not plug my my two favorite coffee shops. Um, well, I live in North Kohala, so of course the Kohala Coffee Mill is just a block or two from my house, and so that is a really important place for meeting with friends and family, and it usually tends to be less work-related and more family fun, neighbor-related, um, and then I work upstairs in the same building as the Waimea Coffee Company, so I frequent, I probably spend half my paycheck there, <laughs> but I, I think the appeal is, um, is mm, there's there are multiple reasons. The coffee is good. The, the community of People who go to these coffee shops are really, it's just really beautiful. You see everybody that you know. Um, and so there's coffee and community. And I have to say that if I'm, we're meeting with, if I'm meeting with the bookkeeper, for instance, and we're going over our finances, I much prefer to do it at the coffee shop where there's, 
such a great ambiance and good coffee. It makes it makes all of those matters so much more fun to deal with. <laughs> it provides a nice venue for that. And thank you for sharing that, Elizabeth. I guess as we close and We've been so thankful to chat with Elizabeth Pickett, Executive Director of the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. I guess for our listeners, as you've been talking about uh, just so many of the important things that you're doing uh, for the community, helping people understand how they can prevent wildfire and protect their resources and safety of their family, How would you describe your dreams? It could be from a personal side, but it could also be from an organizational side. Hmm. Well, from an organizational side, I can answer that first by saying, you know, if we worked ourselves out of a job because people were so wildfire aware, they were prepared, they had a family evacuation plan that they practiced, their yards were clean, um, and they were already working with their neighbors to address wildfire issues. And from elected officials to residents, everyone really understood that we have a fire issue and and made their decisions accordingly. I think I would be really um, excited to not have a job anymore if it was just we were already there. Not that yes. I mean, but I actually really love my job and all the things I get to do. So, um, but in terms of you know effectiveness, I would really that's kind of the vision is that we get to that place where Hawaii, um, all who come to Hawaii are careful with where they pull over on the side of the road. Nobody's starting accidental fires. Um, I, like I said, I never cared about fire until I realized the connection to water and ocean and mountain and forest and everything else. And so then now it just feels like, oh, I wish everybody understood those connections. So that's my work dream. And then maybe personally, it's already starting to come true, but um, I really enjoy making art. And uh, there's a new art co-op in Kohala in, in the area that I live. And so I've been able to get some pieces in there. And I think if I could just keep moving forward, doing this work that I love and and um, being a part of my, of my son growing up and becoming his own water man. He loves the ocean. He's kind of surfing already. Um, if that could just continue to blossom and, and that the art piece is woven in there with a little bit more kite surfing, I think I would be very excited. I'm already happy now, so I can't even imagine if yes. all this came true. Oh, well, we look forward to seeing your paintings, Elizabeth. And of course, we're so grateful to you for all that you do to helping protect our resources and sharing awareness about wildfires. So thank you so much for joining us today. Elizabeth Pickett, Executive Director of the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for highlighting wildfire. Oh, really, it's been such an honor to have you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today on My My Favorite Coffee Story. We've had such a nice and important chat about wildfire and of course weaving in some fun coffee stories along the way and if you'd like to find out more about wildfire you can always go to hawaiiwildfire.org and uh, of course we have our Anikona gift for our listeners so you can always visit anikona.com and sharing questions we love to hear from our listeners so you can always share orders at anikona.com so thank you for joining us today it's been another wonderful time We look forward to being together next week on My Favorite Coffee Story. In the meantime, we wish you a wonderful aloha. Thank you. 
Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.